There's an old saying that someone can be so heavenly-minded that they're of no earthly good. You've probably heard that one before. Now, there's probably some truth to that if you're only living with your head in the clouds all of the time. But I think there's great benefit to us putting our heads in the heavenly clouds from time to time and from that vantage point, using it to evaluate our life on earth. Because I think too often we, we live our lives on earth and think only of heaven as some distant place. But if we, in a sense, put our feet on heaven's soil and then look backwards at our life here on earth, I think it helps put everything in perspective. And that's what I hope to do here this morning. Now, when I wrote this message and I gave the sermon title to Chelsea for the bulletin, I had four things you'll never say in heaven, but I couldn't help it. There had to be a fifth one. So you can change it in your your bulletins, the title, to five things you'll never say in heaven. So would you bow with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we thank you that your word is alive and active. We thank you that it is not a dead word, just sitting on a page. No, it is a living word, and that from the page and by your spirit, you seek to bring it into our minds, that it would sink down into our very hearts and souls, and that by it, we would be changed by your power. And so we pray that this power would be at work through your word and by your spirit here this morning. Holy Spirit, would you speak through me, energize me to share the word you've laid on my heart this morning. May the words be yours, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, to continue the theme, there is a a time-honored joke that probably all of you have heard some version of before. The joke goes that there's a man who dies and goes to heaven. So, of course, St. Peter welcomes him at the gate, and he begins to give the man the tour of his new heavenly home. There are, of course, the angelic choirs singing. There are the streets of gold glittering underfoot. But then while they pass by one particularly large mansion... Peter shushes the man to be silent as they pass by. Once they pass by the mansion, the man then turns and asks Peter, Why did you shush me as we pass by that mansion? To which Peter, of course, replied, That's where all the Mennonites are. They like to think they're the only ones here. (laughs) Who here has heard a version of that one before? Yeah, most of you have. You can fill in the blank with Mennonites with whatever you want, right? Now, I just so happened to come across this old joke uh, this past week, and it just got me thinking. And then my Bible reading this week, for my personal reading, I've been reading through Revelation, and I read Revelation chapter 22, and I just noticed that there are things that won't be in heaven. And because, of course, the reason that we laugh at that joke is because we instinctively realize the the joke is absurd, Segregation of that sort simply could not exist in heaven or it would not be heaven. And so the first thing that you can write down if you want to follow along this morning, the first thing that you will never ever say in heaven is, I wish I'd built more walls of division. You will never say that in heaven and you will never hear anyone utter those words in heaven. I wish I'd built more walls of division. You see, the truth is that for all those who are in Christ Jesus, who have by faith received his free gift of grace, all those who are in Christ, we are one body with Christ as the head. And while we may like to segregate ourselves here on earth according to our cultural heritage, our particular doctrines, or our preferred worship styles, those things simply will not exist in heaven. 
In fact, I don't even think that when we're in heaven and we're worshiping around God's throne, I don't even think what denomination we were a part of when we were on earth will be a topic of conversation. I mean, can you picture being before God's glorious throne and whispering to the guy next to you, Psst, are you Baptist or Mennonite? I, I just can't envision that happening in heaven. You know, to be perfectly honest, denominations will cease to exist in heaven. And Jesus' prayer for us, that he prayed way back in the garden, will be answered in full measure when he prayed, Father, may they be one even as we are one. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. That was Jesus' prayer, and that will be realized in all of its perfection one day in heaven. Now, all of this got me thinking that while we tend to imagine and talk about all the wonderful things that will be in heaven, and we ask questions like, will my favorite food be in heaven? Will there be golf in heaven? If you're a golfer, I'm a golfer, and I personally hope golf won't be in heaven. Unless I can make a hole in one every time. But nonetheless, we we typically think about what will be there. But there will also be things that won't be in heaven. In fact, one of the ways that the new heaven and the new earth is often described in the pages of Scripture is by what won't be there. And in our Scripture reading this morning, in Revelation chapter 22, verses 3 to 5, it is actually described in terms of what will not be there. So here is a quick list of ten things that I came up with just off the cuff from this uh, passage and some other passages that refer to what won't be in heaven. A quick list of ten things that won't be there. Number one, no sea. There will be no more sea. Number two, there will be no locked gates. There will be no temple. There will be no sun or moon. There will be no night. There will be no devil. There will be no tears. There will be no pain. There will be no sin. And there will be no death. That's a lot of great things that won't be in heaven. Wouldn't you agree that those things will not be there? Now, because all of those things will not be in heaven, there will also be things that we will never hear or say in heaven. I've already given you one. And here's the next one of things that you will never say in heaven. Number two on the list is, I wish I'd spent more time watching TV. Does that surprise you to be on my list, that I would pick something like TV? Now, why would I pick TV? Well, there's a reason. I chose television because it's emblematic of the entertainment, obsessed, and saturated culture in which we live today. Vegging in front of the TV, or Netflix and chill, these phrases have become shorthand for what the vast majority of Canadians do with their spare time. In a 2013 article in thestar.com, they ran the following story that stated this. According to a recent survey conducted by BBM Canada, the average Canadian adult watches a whopping 30 hours of television a week. That averages out to 4 hours and 20 minutes per day. That was a 2013 study done that that's how much Canadians watch TV. The, The article continued... A young man named Nathaniel Wilsey figures he's way under that mark and knows that he's not amongst those who average a four-hour and 20-minute TV date per day. But then when it comes to how much time he spends online, he laughs sheepishly as he tries to do the math. It's a lot, he admits, umming and awing for a few seconds before coming up with a number that he is surprised to utter aloud. I'm on social media 
on my phone or on my laptop pretty much all day from 8 in the morning until midnight. So I would say, I don't know, maybe 10 hours a day. So here's the thing. TV, internet, smartphones, tablets, all of these things that we are so connected to in our day and age, these things are morally neutral devices. They are not inherently good, nor are they inherently evil. But of course, how they are used and what they are communicating can be either good or evil. And so even when it's morally neutral, what we're consuming or what we're looking at on these devices, even when it's perhaps even edifying to us, we still have to ask the question, how much is too much? Well, that's not for me to tell you. That's for you to figure out for yourselves. However, I will say that it's surprisingly easy to spend far more time distracted by screens, whether a TV, a smartphone, a tablet, or a computer, it's far easier to be distracted by these things and spend more time than we realize. And so it comes down to how we use and prioritize our time and how much or little we interact in our face-to-face relationships. You know, we've all seen and joked about, you know, a group of teenagers sitting around and no one's looking at each other because they're all texting. And sometimes they're even texting each other in the circle, right? We joke about these things, but this is the new reality in which we are living. And so how much emphasis are we putting on these screens versus how much we put on face-to-face relationship? Now, I'll be the first one to admit to you that I've had far too many conversations with Leanne where there was either a smartphone distraction somewhere in that conversation or perhaps a baseball game going on on the TV in the background. And those conversations and being distracted, even though you're talking, these things can creep into our lives without us even realizing it. And being aware of it's the first step, and I'm aware of it, and it's something that I'm working on. So how about you? How much time do you spend with your spouse, with your friends, or with your family? How much of it do you spend with it centered around a television going somewhere in the background or distracted by a device in your hands? Because you see, here's the thing. These things will not exist in heaven. (laughs) <laughs> so can I get a hallelujah? These things will not be there. And so heaven will be a place of pure relationship. Pure relationship. A place where we will both, the scriptures say, we will both know fully and we will be fully known. There will be no more distractions, no more divisions, no more barriers holding us back from pure relationship. And I believe that when we experience that in heaven, we will look back at our time spent here on earth and we will say, why did I spend so much time on all that stuff and not more time on relationships? It's all about relationships in God's economy. And so that's the how much question when it comes to all of, our, all of our entertainment and our electronic devices that we are so connected with in this day and age. That's the what question, or pardon me, the how much. Now, the what question. What are we watching? Now, let's face it. There's a whole gamut of things in our world today, in our media, in our entertainment that comes out of Hollywood and elsewhere that falls somewhere between morally neutral and just downright evil. And Psalm 101 verse 3 says this. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. 
I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. Now, the key to understanding this verse is to understand that the psalmist's desire is to not fall away from God. And so, the way he has seen so many others fall away from the Lord, his desire is to not go down the same road. And so he says that their works shall not fasten its grip on him. And what does he pinpoint as the key to not having those works fasten their grip on him? Well, it's quite simple. He says, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. Now, does that mean that he never saw a worthless thing? Of course not. He saw many worthless things. That's to which he's referring. He saw the wicked things happening around him. But as far as what he had control over, he would personally set no wicked thing before his eyes, no worthless thing. When he was in control of what was in front of him, he was making the decision to not put anything worthless before his eyes. Now, of course, the psalmist did not have a TV in that time, and so he wasn't directly referring to the latest show on Netflix or HBO. But the principle still applies. When we have the remote control in our hand, that means we have the choice as to what we will set before our eyes as entertainment. And so here, let me just say that for the Christian who is saved by grace and grace alone, we have a great deal of freedom in this regard. But as the Apostle Paul pleaded with the early church, don't use your freedom to indulge your sinful flesh. He also said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, I don't know about you, but for myself personally, one of the greatest influences of what I think about is what I set in front of my eyes. And so rather than only asking the question, is what I'm watching right or wrong, ask yourself in addition these questions. Is what I'm watching of any worth to me? Is it good for my mind or edifying in some way, shape, or form? Or is it only dragging my thoughts downwards? Is it getting its grip on me? Because if it is, then if like the psalmist, your desire is to not fall away from God, then you need to exercise your will and stop watching. You've got that remote control in your hand. You can turn it off or change the channel. It's up to you. And so these are some things to think about in a very practical realm of how we spend our spare time and what we set before our eyes and I believe that you will never, ever hear the words uttered in heaven. I wish I'd spent more time watching TV. The third thing you will never hear uttered in heaven are these words. I wish I'd made more money. Do you think you're ever going to hear those words in heaven? I wish I'd made more. More money. Of course not. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21, of course, the, the famous words of the Lord Jesus who said, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, we spend the best hours of our days and we spend the best years of our lives working in order to make money. Why? So that we can put a roof over our heads, 
so that we can put food on the table and shoes on our feet, as the song goes. Now, is this wrong? No, of course not. This is not wrong. In fact, God worked for six days of creation, rested on the seventh, and he told man to do the same. Working to provide for one's family is good, and having meaningful work is important as well. We're even told in Scripture to work as unto the Lord and not as unto men. So if you have a job, do it well. Even if your boss is lousy, still put in your best effort as unto the Lord, not as unto your boss or your employer. Do it for the Lord. This is all healthy and good. Where it becomes unhealthy is when rather than working to live, we begin living to work. When work and success and money and having more of it becomes our focus, we very quickly lose our focus on God. And as Jesus said, where our treasure is, there will your hearts be also. Echoing Jesus' teaching, Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17, Warn the rich people of this world not to be proud or to trust in wealth that is so easily lost. Tell them to have faith in God, who is rich and blesses us with everything we need to enjoy life. You see, in a similar way to how television is morally neutral, money is morally neutral as well. It is a tool. It is a means to an end. But when money becomes the end in and of itself, that is when you have a problem. And to those who look at the idol worship in the Old Testament and say, well, We don't have idolatry or idol worship in our age today. They couldn't be more wrong. The almighty dollar is the number one idol of our age today. Our capitalistic society has put the dollar sign on the altar. It is our idol. In fact, I suspect that if anything, on that day when we are in heaven and we look back at earth, we will will say, no, Not that I wish I'd made more money. I believe we will say, I wish I'd spent a lot less time worrying about chasing after more money and a lot more time simply being content with God's daily provisions. For he has provided for us in such a great way. And remember, when we are in heaven, we will be in a place where the streets are paved with pure translucent gold. Yes, it is pavement in heaven, the thing that we chase for here on earth. It's a place where brick and mortar and rebar and cement will be replaced with precious gemstones because they are so prevalent. The very things that man's greedy heart pursues so diligently on earth will be nothing but building materials in heaven. It'll put everything in perspective that what we are chasing so hard after here on earth doesn't amount to anything. And so let's chase after righteousness and God's kingdom instead And he will take care of our needs, and we can be content with that. And so we will never look back at earth and say, I wish I'd spent more time making money, or I wish I'd made more of it. The fourth thing that we will never hear said in heaven is, I wish I'd spent less time serving God. Talking about TV earlier, has anyone seen those Captain Obvious commercials? Anyone? You know the one I'm talking about where he makes these super obvious statements? Jumping in water will get you wet, right? Captain Obvious, right? Statements like that. Well, this is a Captain Obvious statement if there ever was one. Because no one will ever stand in God's glorious presence and say to him, 
I wish I'd spent a little less time serving you. I cannot imagine those words ever being uttered in heaven. No, in fact, if we are capable of feeling regret in heaven, if even for a moment, I believe the number one regret that every single person will feel is this. Why didn't I do more to serve my glorious God and King? Now, of course, the Bible has a great deal to say about our service to God. And the principal way we do that is through our local church body. The church is the spiritual body of Jesus Christ. And so when you serve the church, you are serving Jesus himself. The next extension of this service to God is when we, as the body collectively, we reach out our hands to serve the community and the world around us. And Jesus taught that when we serve and minister to the least of these brothers of mine, we are serving Jesus himself. And he says, you will most certainly not lose your reward. He also taught that our eternal rewards in heaven will all rest upon our faithful, lifelong service to him. But therein lies the challenge. Faithful, lifelong service. In other words, persevering for the long haul. The journey of faith is not a sprint, it is a marathon. And so, if we are to give of ourselves fully to Jesus Christ and his church, we do so for the long haul. Jesus never once asked for part-time disciples. He never once said things like, give it a try for a year and then see if you want to keep going. He never made calls like that. No, instead, Jesus said things like in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And then later on in Luke 9, 62, he said, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom. There was never such a thing as part-time in Jesus' vocabulary, and there never will be. You see, when we give our lives to Jesus, when we enter the waters of baptism to die with Christ in order that we may rise to new life and to live with him forever, that is an eternal covenant. And if we desire his gift of salvation to be eternal, then our giving of our complete selves to him in lifelong service must be as well. The term Christian and servant of God are synonyms. You simply cannot have one without the other. And we are saved by grace alone so that we can serve God alone. Is this easy? Sometimes, but not always. In fact, persevering in our service to God for the long haul can be one of the greatest single challenges that a disciple will ever face. Persevering. And this is why the Apostle Paul wrote this to his young protege Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 3 to 7. He writes this to Timothy, Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Now, most of us won't resonate all that much with the soldier metaphor, but we will with either the athlete or the farmer metaphors. Canadian sprinter Andre de Grasse made us all proud as Canadians this summer at the Rio Olympics, right? 
Everyone heard of Andre de Grasse, you remember? He won a silver medal up against the great Usain Bolt, and, and we were so proud of this young Canadian sprinter. But let me just say that I guarantee you that he does not enjoy any of that success without a whole ton of hard work and perseverance for years in training prior to that moment of achievement. The next illustration, that of the farmer, the hard-working farmer, Paul says. Right now, farmers across the province, and specifically in this region, are just bringing in the very last of the harvest. And despite there being, in the beginning, not enough rain, then too much rain, then hail, and then, are we ever going to get the crops in? Most bins are still full. Am I wrong? No, they're full. Most bins are full right now. And the hard-working farmers are receiving their reward. If they had not been diligent in the spring and through the year to do all of the work, they would not be receiving the reward right now. They had to persevere through the adversity. And so too, we as Christians, we need to persevere through adversity, through discouragement, through setbacks, so that God's word can be sent out into all the corners of the world, And so that his word declares, one day we will receive a crown of righteousness to all those who love him and long for his appearing. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14, the Apostle Paul exhorted the church there with this command, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle. Now I know that in addition to the distractions of life, one of the reasons that many Christians often become idle in their service to God is because they believe they have so little to offer him. Or that in comparison to others, their gift just doesn't matter. It pales in comparison. But that simply isn't true. Great or small, our service to God matters. We simply give him our best, and we let him take care of the rest. There is a tale that surrounds the famous concert pianist Ignace Paderewski of Poland. The story goes that a mother wishing to inspire her young son's progress at learning the piano, she bought tickets at great personal expense. She bought tickets to one of his concerts. When the night arrived, they found their seats right near the front of the concert hall, and there they eyed the majestic grand piano sitting on stage. Shortly thereafter, the mother found a friend to talk to prior to the show's beginning, and the boy in the moment slipped away unnoticed. When 8 o'clock arrived, the spotlights came on and the audience quieted. And only then did they take notice of the boy perched on the piano's bench. There he was, innocently picking away the tune to Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. The mortified mother gasped. But before she could even get up to go and attempt to retrieve her son, there Paderewski appeared on stage and moved quickly to the keyboard. Don't quit. Keep playing, he whispered in the boy's ears. Then leading over the boy, Paderewski reached down with his left hand and began filling in a bass line. Soon his right arm reached around the other side, encircling the child to add a running obligato. And together, the old master and the young novice held the crowd mesmerized. It finally ended to a long and loud standing ovation. And so too in our lives, unpolished though we may be, 
We're picking away at twinkle, twinkle, little star. That might be the best we have to give our God. But it is he, the master, who surrounds us and he whispers in our ear, don't quit. Keep playing. And as we give him our best, he fills in the rest until a work of amazing beauty is created. And so when we stand before God in glory and he is handing out the crowns of righteousness I want you to rest assured no one will ever utter the words, I wish I'd spent less time serving my glorious God and King. No, we will only, if anything, say, I wish I'd given you just a little bit more, Lord, for you are so glorious. And the final words that we will never, ever say in heaven is this. Let me introduce you to Jesus. Now, these words might surprise you. But the great commission to go into all the world and make disciples will no longer apply in heaven. The fact is that everyone in heaven will already be there because they know Jesus and have made him their personal Savior and Lord. And in heaven you will never again meet a non-believing person. And so you will never again have the opportunity and the privilege to say to someone, let me introduce you to Jesus. In John chapter 5, verse 28, Jesus said, Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. You see, the resurrection from the dead is for all people. Those who have received God's free gift of grace unto salvation, and those who have not will rise unto damnation. And it all hinges on what we decide in this life. And so today, the privilege and the opportunity still lies before us every day to say the words, let me introduce you to my friend Jesus. Let's not look back on our opportunities that we've had in this life. Let us not look back with regret that we did not seize them. Marco Polo is one of the world's most famous explorers. And in 1260 AD, when Marco Polo was only six years of age, his father and his uncle traveled to the great Mongol Empire in the east, which at that time covered almost all of the landmass of Asia, including China. When they arrived there, the great Mongol emperor, Kublai Khan, revealed to them an interest in Christianity. He asked the brothers to take a letter back to their pope, requesting as many as a hundred missionaries to spread the gospel throughout his empire. Three years later, the brothers arrived at home, and two years later, they set back out on their return trek into the Mongol Empire. Did they take the 100 wise men, the missionaries, with them? No. Only two friars accompanied them on their return journey. For the church declared that was all they could spare. And even those two friars who went along turned back halfway there. They deemed the journey too difficult. And what a tragedy. Imagine if Kubla's request had been fulfilled. Perhaps the whole of Asia's history and China itself would have been changed. Opportunity missed. And all around us, there are still those who have not heard the glorious gospel and those who have heard but not yet believed. And so in all ages, including ours, the Great Commission is still urgent. We have the opportunity and the privilege What is your opportunity today? What is ours collectively as a church? May we, 
May we commit ourselves to making the most of every opportunity that we are presented with. May we seize those opportunities to introduce people into the life-changing, soul-saving, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. For when we arrive in heaven one day, we will never again hear certain words, and we could add to this list that I've begun this morning, but I know for certain we will not hear these five things. I wish I'd built more walls of division. I wish I'd watched more TV. I wish I'd made more money. I wish I'd serve God less, or even let me introduce you to Jesus. So may we each strive to live our lives in such a way that there will be no regrets on that day. For words left unsaid, for deeds left undone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we are challenged by your word this morning, we confess where we have fallen short. We confess, Lord, for times where opportunities to speak a word of encouragement or to say the words, let me introduce you to my friend Jesus. They were before us and we passed them by. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for where there were opportunities to serve you, our God, our glorious King, and we said, no, I'm too busy. Forgive us, Lord. And I pray that as we feel your forgiveness by your Holy Spirit, that we would not live in shame or regret, but that you, oh so graciously, lift us up by the hand and say, give me your best. Give me your best and I will fill in the rest. I will surround you with my presence, with my grace, and with my power. And that your best, as feeble as you might feel it is, your best when you give it to me, I will make something beautiful out of it. And so I pray, Lord, that this morning you will stir our hearts to desire to give you our best and that by your spirit you will multiply our efforts, Lord, for your glory and that one day we will stand before you, our glorious God and King, and we will bow down and we will worship you forever for you are worthy of nothing less. We give you our lives. We give you our love. We give you our service for the long haul. Help us in this, O Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.